You know what it is. This is Joe. And Cheryl. And I'm Ray. And this is No True Bill. All right, all right, all right. It is finally time. We got episode one ready to go. Cheryl's coming in hot with episode one of Darley Routier. Hold on to your butts, everybody. Let's go. But first, a little disclaimer. We are prefacing a lot of the appeal of this podcast on the fact that we're prosecutors. However, we need you to understand we are not doing this podcast in our professional capacity as prosecutors. We're doing this as people after hours on our own time with our own equipment. Now, we know a lot about the law by virtue of what we do, uh, but we're also just interested in true crime. So our opinions and commentary in this podcast are not the opinions of our office or our employer. They are not our professional opinions and nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice or anything other than three friends blowing off some steam together. So with that in mind, don't try this at home. All right, we're here for the uh, actual inaugural episode of No True Bill. Yay! Prosecutorial indiscretion. And we have decided to have Cheryl lead off our uh, our podcast because she's so smart. And she's put a lot of work into this, so we're really looking forward to it. Uh, it is a case that I am familiar with. Raymond, on the other hand, knows nothing. Yeah, not not at all. Something about Silly String, and <laughs> I think something about people are dead, but I don't really even know. And, oh, oh, Texas. 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 You know it's Texas. That's what I got. That's what I bring to the table. It's like so. a whole nother country. Yeah. Right? And yeah, from what I've heard from Cheryl, the little bit that she's talked to me about, learned a lot of interesting things about the law in the state of Texas. Tejas. Tejas. It's a little different than up here in, in West by God, but we are talking about none other than the case of Darley Routier. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yes, that is the most often used pronunciation. Routier. Yes. Routier. Not, not Routier. No, I, I've i heard Routier. It makes, it makes me want to say that. Routier. Yeah. Yes. Mm. I've heard the pronunciation as Routier uh, more often than any other. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we'll go with that. And it's a relatively infamous case, well-known case in right. the... Uh, did you want to do some disclaimers? Because it's got oh. some pretty awful material in it. Yeah, I mean... Um, if you've never heard of the case and have no idea, it does involve some unsavory uh, subjects, uh, specifically, I guess, there, with regard to children. The, regard to children, we've got uh, child victims, um, and you know that that's bad. Um, the way that their lives ended was bad. If you're going to be triggered by either talk about violence against children or about potential sexual assaults, you may want to skip the episode mm. um, because those will be things that we'll talk about the sex assault less so, but okay. the whole case is about the death of two children. So yeah, those are the worst. So Darley Routier engage. Yes. So Joe actually introduced me to the case of Darley Routier because he has a habit of watching old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. I can't get enough. And on one of those <laughs> the man original. Loves a cold case. <laughs> right. Loves a cold case. He's our cold case uh, solicitor, solicitor general. Solicitor general. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank I you. couldn't remember yeah. the, official the title. term you it's had adopted door. for yourself. Um, <laughs> it's on the door. <laughs> 
it's on his door. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Joe likes to watch old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. This was a Robert Stack original, I believe, mm-hmm. oh. that had a segment on Darley Routier. Interestingly enough, it's on, on it was on Unsolved Mysteries after Darley Routier was convicted. <laughs> Of the murder. Right. Okay. So that's how disputed, I guess you could say, this mm. case is. Um, and one of the first things I learned when starting to look into the case, the facts of what happened, the trial, um, the evidence, is that there is so much misinformation. Um, almost every mm. website or program or anything you watch about the case has a clear bias or bend to it one way or the other everybody got an angle right all right um so there's a lot of you know free darley darley's innocent uh activism out there and there's a lot of people who firmly believe that she committed these crimes and that the jury in her case got it right so um but it's so hotly contested that this happened in 1996 and she's not yet been executed although she's been on death row since 1997 in the state of texas in the state of texas right so i automatically don't like her because of her name i'm just gonna (laughs) it's not darla it's not carly it's darley from the jump you must also understand her mother's name is also darley oh my god I believe she comes from a line of Darleys. <laughs> okay, so Darley Jr. is the the defendant, right? Well, Mama Mama Darley, does she? They actually into it? call her Mama Darley. Oh my god! Wow. Uh, to distinguish her a lot of the time, <laughs> Mama Darley calls Darley Routier Darley uh, Darley Lynn. I think is her middle name. Darley Lynn. I think I'm I'm trying to remember. That was just one thing I saw in referenced somewhere that should be a child abuse but petition. she calls her by her first and middle name to distinguish her but Darling. everyone calls the mother mama darling mama darling okay well and and before you dig too deep uh just to let them know because you talk about all the misinformation about this case um where are your receipts what what are your sources for this okay great so um i read several uh books that were published on the case um some of which making us look bad right <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of which <laughs> I promise were I won't have that much work put into my episode. solicited to be written mm. by Darley's family. Um, and they cooperated fully with the writing of, of some of these books. Um, I read a couple of the books from uh, authors who sat through the trial. Um, and I read some books from other people who just have studied the case, like so many have. Um, there have been uh, 2020 episodes and uh, 48 hours episodes dedicated to the case. So I watched those. Um, I But did you watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode? I actually did not. I did not watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode. Everything henceforth is invalid. Yeah, Joe says, wow, this is so interesting. You got to check out this episode. She's like, no, that's dumb. I I have read the trial transcripts. (laughs) Oh, okay. I have now. I was basically there. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, I've also looked at the appeals uh, that were filed, two of the appeals. I haven't gone through and read the full habeas case that was last filed yet. I just want (laughs) y'all out there to understand this is so, such a a typical example of Cheryl. This This is is it. This is prototypical Cheryl. 100. I read the trial transcripts, the appellate transcripts, the habeas. I've read 17 books. I watched six 
and a half documentaries. Joe's episode was stupid. But I, all, all this work, I don't know anything about this case, though. I'm not ready to do this episode, y'all. This is going to go down in a ball of flames. I'm a disaster. It's going to be terrible. Uh, yeah, this, this, is, this is Cheryl. When we were talking about how prepared she is for stuff, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, this, this is it right here. So yeah. let, let us show you what we were talking about, how she's going to tell you, I know nothing about this case. And then for the next two and a half hours, she's going to tell us every single detail. Probably better than the actual investigators. I bet. Well, I don't know about that either. So, um, <laughs> but the reason I read the trial transcripts and and the actual things that have been filed uh, on behalf of Darley and filed on behalf of the state in the case is because there was so much misinformation. Um, I read one book and I was like, is that a thing that actually exists? Because I haven't heard about that in anything else I've seen or read. And I went back through and tried to confirm. And some things are just complete made up nonsense just total fabrications right that that aren't even things that actually happened or even exist Mm. some things have been misinterpreted because people don't understand the law on things um which is a good reason i think we're we're looking at the case yeah Uh, we might be able to help clear some of those things up a little bit but um just so much misinformation which is why i felt like i needed to just read through the transcripts and right to the source baby right just to to confirm what things actually were out there what actually was presented and what was not presented um but so the um the events that led to the the deaths of these two children took place on june 6 1996 okay um was tupac dead yet i don't know Uh, so the two children involved are the two children, uh, or two of the three children of Darley and Darren Routier. Uh, their names are Devin and Damon. Are you writing things down? I'm I'm writing notes so I can keep track. So we got 1996. We got June. It's summertime. It's hot out. Yeah. June 6th, 1996. Which, yes. Which, uh, Darley's family denotes the mnemonic. They use the mnemonic device 666 to remember the date of the event. It's June 6th, 1996. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Because something evil clearly happened on that night, which no one disputes. I'm really glad Ashley's not here. If y'all knew (laughs) Joe and I, well, is she technically no, your assistant? She ain't mine. I just bought her You just steal all her all the time. Yeah. My assistant is perhaps the most superstitious person on the face of the planet. And if Cheryl just said that two kids got murked on 666. Just she, saying she 666. Yeah, you, you, you got to cross I it out, even, bro. I can't. I can't. Love her to death. Can't. <laughs> but, I mean, cross it out. I mean, yeah. Cross yeah it. I believe that's something. Just saying 666, you can cross that out. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, that's how... If any superstitions should befall her, any any terrible thing, you just what she calls cross it out, which is with your fingers in the air, draw an X, and then the evil that associates or that accompanies that Duh. superstition goes away. That's how it works, right? You cross it out. Cross it out. And yeah. some things you can cross out, but some things you can't. And mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still in that area where I'm learning which things you can and cannot cross out. Yeah, per it's, her code. It's a mystery. It changes daily. Yeah, but, I feel like she makes it up as she goes. Yeah. Anyway. But so, okay, two dead kids, Car- uh, Dar- Darley, not Carly, We're Darley right. Jr. They're, they're all these. Darley Six. Oh my God. is married to Darren. All right. And they actually have three children. Mm-hmm. Devin, who's the oldest, then Damon, and then Drake, who at the time of the killings is, I believe, Newborn, seven right? months old. Yeah. Drizzy. Not, not a rapper? <laughs> no. Okay. No. 
Hmm. All right. This kid ain't in Canada. <laughs> Not uh Well, you know Drake is Canadian. He yeah. Yeah. What was Degrassi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nickelodeon. <clears throat> so, um, at 2.30 in the morning, there's a 911 call from the residence. Uh, Darley calls, and she's hysterical and ranting. She's reporting that an intruder broke into the home. Uh, her two children have been stabbed. She uh, says that she realizes that she's also been uh, cut, stabbed, while she's on the phone with the 911 operator. Um at some point during the call, you hear her husband, uh, you hear his voice Darren. come into the call, Darren. Mm -hmm. um, and then at some point within a few minutes, you hear the first officer arrive on scene. He arrives on scene and is there by himself on scene for a couple minutes, uh, during which time Darlie is reporting to him that the intruder has gone out the garage and may still be in the garage. So he is staying with the family with his weapon drawn until backup officer arrives, in which case that's when they go clear the garage, the garage. clear the home. EMS is allowed to come in and treat the two children. Um, Darley reports that she was asleep. Uh, she was awakened by Damon sort of brushing her or hitting her on the shoulder uh, saying mommy. She says that when she wakes up, she sees an intruder sort of down towards her feet on the couch, walking toward their kitchen. Uh, if you go out their kitchen through the utility room where their washer and dryer are, you go out into the garage and then out into the backyard. If you go through the side door, or I guess if you go through the front garage door, you'd be out in the street. Yeah. Um, so, that's basically her reporting of what she recalls with regard to the intruder. She describes the intruder uh, wearing dark clothing and a ball cap. So, so that's it. She doesn't describe seeing the intruder doing anything. No. Doing anything to her, doing anything to the boys. Just no. walking out, out this piece. Right. There, there mm. is one point um, during the 9 call where it sounds like she said this, that she was fighting him. Mm-hmm. Um, but she testified at trial that she said she was frightened of him. So, um, she does give a few statements. However, the first officer to respond talks to her. She reports to him, um, that the assailant went out into the garage. Um, they go out and check. They don't find anything in the garage. They do see that a screen in of a window in the garage has been cut. Oh, that was in the garage? Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was the garage from the outside. So um basically she tells that officer uh according to him that she did have a brief struggle with the assailant before he exited the house through the utility room and garage door. Well, the utility room toward the garage. Okay. She doesn't know where he went after the garage because she didn't follow him that far. She did indicate that after she got up, after being roused by Damon, that she walked after him through the kitchen to the utility room door and then came back um, after she turned on light, realized there was blood everywhere and freaked out. Um, so... That's the initial reporting. Uh, Darren says that he's asleep. He's awakened 
by Darley screaming the name of one of the boys. Mm. Uh, well, first he hears glass break, and then he hears Darley screaming the names of one of the boys. He comes down the stairs, and when he gets down there, he sees the two boys are laying in different positions in the family room. Darley is on the phone with 911. She's holding a towel up to her throat at that point. Um, and he immediately starts to resuscitate the boys. Um, at some point, he sort of panics because, um, well, the officer arrives on scene. The officer is instructing both Darley and Darren to do different things to try to help the boys while he waits for his backup to arrive. Um, at some point after the officers arrive and clear the scene and they're trying to work on the boys and EMS is there, Darren runs and gets, uh, the across the street neighbor. Apparently she's a nurse. Oh. Um, and because that's what he feels <clears throat> like he knows to do. Also, he ran outside to get help at one point, um, before the first officer arrived, he came outside because as he was coming outside, the officer was arriving. So when the officer arrives, he sees Darren shirtless in a pair of jeans. Uh, I believe he was barefooted at the time in the front yard, having just come out of the house. They go back into the house. That's when Darley tells them that the intruder went out the garage. And I know I'm repeating a lot of things because I'm recycling everyone's mm -hmm. telling of what happened into one cohesive story. And perhaps I should have thought about that more before I started the episode, but here we are. <laughs> um, yeah. So later, uh, Darren goes to get the nurse who lives across the street, who's also a family friend. Um, she comes over and eventually she takes Drake who's upstairs and fine. Mm -hmm. uh, Drake was asleep upstairs with Darren in the master bedroom. Uh, his crib is in the master bedroom. Uh, Darley had been sleeping downstairs with Devin and Damon that night. And some discussion about why that was is also sort of pertinent to the case. Hmm. So Darley reports consistently that she slept downstairs because she hadn't been sleeping very well since uh, Drake's birth, that Drake kept her up a lot. Just him moving around would wake her up. Um, and she thought she would get better quality sleep if she was not being awakened by the baby. Uh, so Darren, Darren agreed to be on daddy duty that night. Good for Darren. Right. Um, and then, uh, Devin and Damon were excited because apparently they'd gotten a television for the family room and they were sort of camped out with some popcorn watching TV. Moving so, right. Okay. So she decided she would stay downstairs with the two boys. Um, Darren and Darley both describe having sort of a heavy conversation before bed that night. They don't classify it as an argument per se, but one of them classified it as they had some words about some financial issues that they were having. Um, they, they talked about the fact that uh, Darren had bought an old Jaguar that he had always wanted one of, and it was not the most reliable vehicle. It was once again in the shop. You will uh, identify with this from your, <laughs> your BMW issues. Um, it's okay. It's a great car. Darren had also purchased a boat. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if the plan for the boat was just for private use at first, but when money got tight with his company, he decided maybe he would run like a, a sweetheart cruise like charters. Kind of deal. He's right. running charters on this. Right. Thing. He hmm. would take you and your sweetheart out on the boat. And what, what, what you know. body of water? Where in Texas are we talking about? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> this happened in Rowlett, Texas, which is near Lubbock, which is near Dallas. 
Okay. Is there water, greater D- is there, DFW. Is there water there? I mean, is there I'm a, assuming a lake, there was I assume? some sort of lake, lake nearby. Life. If he's got a boat that he's running people around on. Also, I, I noticed you haven't mentioned it yet, so I must inquire. Darren's hairstyle. How would you describe it? It's very mullety. Oh, yeah. he's got a mullet. It's yeah, a mullet. Does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Definitely a mullet. Ooh. But um, I mean, it was 1996. Yeah, 1996 was in the Texas. time of Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. I mean, everybody had a mullet. Yeah, for sure. Everybody worth anything had a mullet. I'm saying. Um, so they had a discussion before bed about their uh, financial issues, according to them. But they both say it uh, ended amicably and they kissed each other and Darren went upstairs to sleep and she stayed downstairs with the boys to sleep. Um, so the police come to the scene and there's a lot of evidence to take into account at the scene. Uh, as you can imagine, there's blood pretty much everywhere in the family room, kitchen, utility room of the house. Um, there are some fingerprints that they try to recover. Um, I'll talk about those later on. Uh, there's a knife on the kitchen counter, which Darley identifies as a knife that she picked up that she saw the intruder drop in the utility room. So she says, bad guy dropped it. Yes. But I done I picked, picked it, up it up and put my prints all over it. Yes. Mm. I picked it up. And the first time this comes up is actually on the 911 call, which some people say is suspicious. But if you listen to the 911 call, um, the first time she talks about it isn't necessarily out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the context, but... They ask her about weapons present or something no, like that. No, the... the um, I think the 911 operator tells her not to touch anything. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, there's, I already touched the knife. I picked it up. Mm. Um, and then she mentions fingerprints on the knife again later in the call, um, which her continuing to talk about that while her children are, are clearly in serious distress, people think is suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, I I agree that she didn't just bring up OBT dubs. I touched this knife. So my fingerprints might be on it. Yeah. Um, that's not how it happened in the context of the call. Well, and and I'm sure having done all the research, you know, you, you probably have an opinion. Uh, I'm sure you do as to ultimately her, her involvement in this or lack thereof. But I don't know. I feel like it's a getting into someone's reactions on a 911 call. Yeah. Right. Ooh, that's that's tricky business right there. And we're going to talk about reactions throughout this. Yeah. It's um, Texas. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and judging other people by how they act and react to stressful situations. Yeah. Um it's natural, but it, I don't yeah. Yeah, but it's not something that's very indicative to me of guilt or innocence. I mean, sometimes it can be. In this context, I didn't find it to be strange. Okay. Um, it wasn't compelling my, to you right, one way or the other. That's just my perspective of the call. Hmm. I wasn't taken aback that she brought up the fingerprints in the context in which she did. Yeah. Okay. Um, some people, again, say that they think that's unusual, but I think in the context of the call, where she brought it up the first time, it was not unusual. Um, the fact that she brings it up again later is a little bit weird, but that just could be, you know, that little bit of conversation she had with the 911 operator about the fact that she picked it up. Right. She might There's, be spinning on that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very stressful situation. I don't doubt it. Um, 
So they do find a knife that is now on the kitchen counter that Darley says the uh, intruder dropped in the utility room on his way out of the house. She saw him drop it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's broken glass on the floor of the kitchen. Darren said he heard glass break. Yes. And Darley also reports the glass breaking uh, as old boy is going through the kitchen. As he's leaving. Yes. Okay. Yes. Out the garage. Well, so in their family room, their family room is sort of that thing where you got the peninsula connecting the kitchen to the family room. Okay. So you go through the kitchen. Off the kitchen is a little utility room that has like their washer and dryer in it. And then you hang a left and you're in the garage through the utility room. Okay. Like a, okay, like a mud room. It's like type. a mud room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but so what window was broke? No windows were broken. The screen in the garage window was cut with a knife and the window was open. In in that utility room or in, in the garage? In the garage. Yes, in <clears throat> so the garage. That, so that is supposedly the point of entry. Yes, that's what you would assume. You you know from Darley's statement that's supposedly the point of exit. Exit through the same, like still not going through a door. Going well, through went a out the utility door and she doesn't know where he went in the garage, but we know we have this window that's open and there's, it's been, the screen's been cut. Where did glass come from? Yes, I'm not tracking. Okay, so the glass is in the kitchen. Oh. The glass came from a wine glass oh. that uh, fell onto the floor. Okay. We'll talk about the wine glass later as well. Mm. Uh, there is a vacuum cleaner that becomes important that's in the kitchen that has uh, both blood stains on it and under it. It's, it's the 90s. Did people have carpet in their kitchens? People had carpets in bathrooms. There's in the 90s. linoleum, right? Yeah, there was no carpet in the kitchen. Mm. Um, the there's also some interesting evidence that they develop in the sink area of the home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there is a pair of shoes that becomes uh, a point of interest that I did not really hear a lot about until I actually got into some of the trial transcripts. Okay. Uh, there's a sock. The sock is still to this day the weirdest part of this to me. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the part to make you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> so there's a sock that's found like I'm going to say it's about three houses down out the back alley mm-hmm. of the Routier residence. Uh, it's beside like a some trash cans of a neighbor that had set out to the curb. Where he's got his pondering face The police, face on. when they um, are securing the area, you know, they're knocking on doors. They're talking to people, asking if they saw anything weird. They go out so far, and as part of their canvassing, they see this sock, and they pick it up, not knowing whether it's related to the case or not. Turns out it would be related to the case. Mm. So there's the sock. Mm. Um, there's jewelry of Darley's. That she had brought downstairs to show to another person in the house potentially earlier that same day. I can't remember the testimony about when that took place, but it was around that time Mm -hmm. where she was looking to sell some of her jewelry. And the jewelry that she brought down and laid on this counter, she indicated was worth $10,000. It's a lot of jewelry and it's nice jewelry and it's still laying on the kitchen counter. Oh, I guess that's kind of a relevant point about all this too. It might play into things a little bit later, but... They're not quite Ramsey status rich, but these folks were living up, certainly upper middle class. Oh, sure. I mean, um, bougie. Um, yes, they were doing really well for themselves. And go. for uh, 
they had been doing really well for themselves. Darren got into sort of, um, I wouldn't say it's computer programming. It's more like motherboarding. Like mm. uh, he would put together circuits and stuff for computers. And Back uh, when they were all big. Windows 97, yeah. baby. He, he started off working for another company. He went and got specialized education and he opened up his own uh, business. Okay. Um, so he and Darley kept the books and they had another employee that he sort of stole away from his uh, prior employer mm -hmm. as well. And the three of them ran this business. It turned out to be very profitable uh, because of Darren's experience. He was able to uh, undercut pricing for his old business and sort of uh, make a good living for himself and for Darlie and for the kids. So they bought this uh, really nice house in a really good neighborhood. Um, they Tell had, me, did they have a fountain? They did. They had a big fountain put in out front. Um, like I said, Darren's dream car had been that Jaguar and he finally purchased it. They purchased the boat. Um, they were also very generous from what I understand. Um, purchasing things for, for other families um, who maybe couldn't afford things. Um, they earned money and they spent money, but the testimony was they didn't necessarily save much money. Hmm. Um, and they were sort of uh, getting real cash poor. Oh, they sound like me. They sound like me. You make it, you spend it. <laughs> what? Why? Save? You don't got to save for nothing. Yeah. Um, and their financial issues became uh, a point of testimony in the trial because okay. um, that was part, not not all, but part of the state's case as to why this might have happened. Yes, I am certainly intrigued to the possible motive of this, but I guess we'll get there. Right. So um, I'm not I'm, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, obviously I don't know anything about the case yet, but were there any they didn't have insurance policies on these kids. So like they I, did. Oh, they did. But they weren't large ones at all. Uh, they were just five thousand dollars a piece on the boys. Yeah. Um, is there an aircraft taken off or I don't know what that's. Oh, is that the AC on these mics? <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least they cutting the air on because I'm, I'm just I mean. All right, I have money problems. I might kill my husband. No doubt. I might do whatever, but with the kids? Right. Well, and there's other evidence with regard to potential motive that they introduced. And it sort of was presented as it's the perfect storm of things that was going on with her that, according to the state's theory of the case, caused her to do this. So financial but they can't say woes were like a stressor. Correct. Mm. That maybe was one stressor some, that was some ongoing. postpartum kind of thing. Indeed. Mm. That's, okay. There's a lot of talk about that. All right. Um, so I, I, just going over some of the, the physical evidence and things that they saw um, at so, the scene. So the jewelry, though, was still in the house. Oh, yeah. Still where she left it. So, so robbery kind right, of out the window is a sort of motive. Out the window. Right. Because yeah, right. they left all the valuables. Mm -hmm. the, and the only thing they did was, you know, cut Kill up the these children. folks. Yeah. Right. They cut up the folks and, and the children passed. So mm -hmm. evidence of injuries also became um, important in the case. Yeah, let's talk about that. So um, both Damon and Devin suffered... Uh, stab wounds that were very deep and penetrating stab wounds to their uh, abdomen, their chest cavity, okay. specifically. Um, Did you say these Damon were... was the one that woke her up, though? Yes. So d kids all jacked up, bleeding and whatever, and he's mommy, I'm dying. Yeah, it seems weird, doesn't it? No. Oh. 
Hmm. Okay. Seems weird. Uh, okay. I mean, All I right. don't know. Uh, I, you run for your mommy. I, yeah. Right. I, I mean, mean I mean, but does she testify? Like, I, I guess I'd, when, in, I mean, I know you weren't getting too in depth, but in the initial recitation, I just sort of took it as like, she's sleeping, kid wakes her up, says, mommy, something's going on. I'm scared, whatever. Like, but not that he's actively dying, yeah, actively yeah. No. suffering lethal wounds. Does she say no. that that's what happened when kid came up to him? Up to she her, says rather? that she just woke up because uh, he either bumped or touched her shoulder and said, mommy. And that's when she awoke to see old boy at her feet heading out toward the kitchen. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Again, we'll, we'll get more into her statements and the evidence in a minute. Um, but both boys had deep penetrating stab wounds to their chest cavities, uh, such that they went all the way through their bodies. <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, Good Lord. Yeah. This was <laughs> through and through with a knife. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, what I, kind I don't of know knife that are you it, talking about? Okay, so it's a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a long-handled kitchen knife okay. uh, from the Routier's kitchen. Like a kitchen knife, like a butcher knife, or like a kitchen knife, like a serrated jump? It was not serrated. Okay. It was like a butcher knife. Okay. Um, so, Darley also had injuries. Um <laughs> you cut it out later engage yeah. okay so darley had injuries too mm -hmm. uh she had a wound on her neck um that was a side to side wound she had a oh. stab wound in her i want to say it was her upper left shoulder and she had a stab wound on sort of the outside of her right arm Ooh. Ooh. That's a lot. Yeah, she had some. Um, I mean, they were pretty significant, right? I oh mean, yeah. I'm well. You seen the pictures? Yeah, I saw the pictures. Okay. <clears throat> um, I saw the pictures. There's also some bruising that is discussed. That is a big deal okay. in the case for both sides. Um, that that comes up with regard to when these bruises appeared, and so when these bruises were caused. Mm. Um, there was a lot of testimony from medical time, witnesses. I was going to say time and bruises is pretty, pretty rough. Yeah. Gamble, you can't, though, right? you can't yeah. do that. No. You can't you, and we all know that as prosecutors, like no one will estimate the time of a bruise for mm -hmm. you. Um, the best you can do is do they look fresh? Yeah. Right. Sometimes or, or they'll be able to tell you, are they healing? Consistent too. Right. right. As far as time, maybe not when they were, but this bruise and this bruise seem to be. Aging in a similar fashion, so right. they may occur, they may right. have occurred at the Together, same time. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, but you can't say you can't say that occurred three days ago. Right, that is not something that you can do. So, if you don't know, now you know bruises. Yep. Yeah. There it is. No specificity. Yeah. So you can't time a bruise, but the specific controversy, I guess, surrounding Darley's bruises is that so Darley is in the hospital from the sixth through the eighth of June and the doctor who treated Darley for her injuries basically indicated what we would classify her injuries as, as far as the structures that were damaged, mm -hmm. we would classify them as superficial. Mm -hmm. Ooh, dang. That's what I was wondering. Superficial. superficial. I mean, I'm just saying I, I've seen. I just they look. They look rough. Oh yeah. When I see, when I saw yeah. the pictures. That's not fair. I saw the pictures. You didn't see. You the saw the pictures. You should Google them pictures. You you, you got a phone. Yeah, all right, that's a good point. Darley Routier, 
you would not battle scars. You would not say superficial based on what you saw. I mean, we're not medical. I'm not a doctor. But right. What you saw, you were like, "Ooh, that's pretty." Serious. Oh no, it it's alarming. Looking. Like, <clears throat> like when you see the pictures, you're like, "This woman has been in a fight for her life." Yeah. Like that's what you think. And I'm just, you know, I've heard of people shooting themselves, like in to wound or stab themselves, but the the one to me is the the neck that goes right. against every. survival instinct that you have is to run a blade across your own neck because although the doctor classified her injuries as superficial make no mistake that if they had been like millimeters more she would have damaged or whoever hit one of them things Mm -hmm. someone would have damaged her carotid artery and she would have bled out like quickly yeah um and that's any cut to your neck However superficial it might be, it's going to be close to your important. <laughs> you got a lot of important a lot of things arteries. happening in the lots neck of things region. flowing to yeah. and fro go through your neck. Indeed, indeed. Um, so there were bruises that showed up on Darlene in pictures on June. Mm, I want to say it was the tenth when she went to give a statement. Um, now keep in mind she was in the hospital from the sixth to the eighth. Oh, that's what I was saying. So the doctor said that he would classify <clears throat> medically her injuries as superficial just because of the structures that were damaged. Okay. Um, and he ordinarily, with someone with those injuries, he would have released after being treated. However, he was concerned about Darlie's mental health and her state of mind, Ooh. having just lived through yeah. what she lived through, knowing that there's media coverage of it and that there's a circus happening. Um, Suicide watch. Basically, he mm-hmm. wanted to keep her under observation to make sure she was handling things well. As best you can, I guess. Right. I mean, after you you see your two kids die. Yikes. Um, so he was more concerned about her mental health than her physical health. That was his testimony. And that's why he kept her for the couple of days uh, that he kept her. Um, Ray does not look impressed. I'm just going to. I'm just trying so to figure are, out. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I'm just. There's a. There's a. There are a bruise are, that runs the length of her forearm. Right. And that's where I'm getting at. Where does that come so from? So there's a bruise that runs the inside of yes. her forearm yes. from pretty much her wrist all the way up to under her elbow. Yeah. And how, how did that happen? They're according to really purple. Well, she doesn't know. Okay. They're really uh, purpley and dark. And she also has bruises on the backs of both of her hands um, in the pictures that were taken on June the 10th. So... The medical staff at the hospital say that they did not see the arm bruise, which is pretty gnarly. Yes. And the hand bruises while she was in the hospital from the 6th to the 8th. Um, There's testimony about bruising related to where her stab wounds are, Mm. that there's bruising around those. And it was noted that in the photographs that were taken on the 10th, the bruising around the stab wounds were yellowed while ah, these are purpley. purple. They so again, it. we back to the time game, right? So you can't age the bruises, but it looked to them like they weren't, they weren't done at the same time. Right. I mean, bro, but does she, look at the neck. The neck just looks Frankenstein to me. Oh, I mean, yeah, she does got she, stitches and it's, I mean, it uh, looks, it, it looks pretty, pretty rough, but, but you know what the bruise on the, uh, not a medical guy, you know, this, um, the bruising on the arm reminds me of when, uh, not like a bruise from like an impact or something like that, but from when literally just blood gets under your skin. Um, did I ever tell you that story about me donating plasma when trying to get money to get home from college and that 
they took the plasma out and what they do is they pump the blood out of you. It's absolutely gross. Uh, and they take the plasma out of the blood and then they pump the plasma less blood back into your body so that you have blood or something. But apparently <laughs> the needle, the needle had gone through my vein. So Ooh. when they pumped the blood back into me, it didn't go into my vein just where it was supposed to be. Arm. It just went into my arm. And there, like, there was like, beep, beep. There were all these things going on. And the dude came over and like wiggled the needle. Yeah, pray on that. Wiggled the needle a little bit and like fixed it. And I was like, okay, cool. Everything's fine. I go home. I go to bed. I wake up the next day and I go to get a shower and I look and everywhere down the inside of my bicep, down uh, it, underneath my armpit, down my side, purple. Just absolute purple bruise. And it wasn't, it's not like I had bled. It was this, there was blood under the skin. And so it was purple and gross and it stayed that way for a long time. And that showed up the next day? It did. Showed up the next day. And and this, I mean, it's just that kind of bruise. I mean, you know what I mean? It looks like that. It looked right. like that. It's like, it covers the whole part of the body. It's just like blood. It's like the the autopsy photos we see. What do they call yes. that? Lip, liver mortis, I or, think. Or Not rigor mortis, but there's like where the where pooling every, yes. of the blood mm -hmm. afterward. It all goes down on the booty. Purple. Yeah. Right. Purple on yeah. the booty. It's like right, that. Right. Hmm. So the doctors Suspicious. who the doctors <laughs> the doctors who treated her reviewed the pictures and he indicated to him that looked like a blunt force trauma wound. Hmm. Like literally someone I, had I told you I'm not a bat. doctor. I yeah. Um so the stab wounds, though, like the bruising immediately around the stab wounds were already starting to yellow Correct. to suggest that they were older. But then she's got these freshies, fresh ones Blunt that force. when she rolled up, they didn't notice. It took days for these to set in. Now she's got blunt force that covers her whole arm. Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. Now, her family testified that they saw some of this bruising while she was in the hospital. But the doctors didn't. The doctors and the nurses. And the nurses. Did not. Hmm. Um, one family friend, actually, the prosecutor points this out in his closing argument. And when I went back to read the testimony again after that, he's right. Um, they, they're asking the family members about the bruises. She, she fact checked the prosecutor's closing argument. And, well, <laughs> and, but she, but she ain't ready. They, she ain't ready. They ask the family friend if she saw bruising on Darlie's arm. And her answer was yes, she had bruising and she motioned to where the stab wound was. Uh, on that the she top had of the bruising on top of her arm around where her stab wound was. She did not indicate she had seen any bruising on the underside of her arm or on her hands. Mm -hmm. The rest of the family members who testified said that they did. Uh, the doctors and the, nurses the, the said family, that they didn't. I mean, they wouldn't lie for Darlie. Family members wouldn't. Is that sarcastic? It is. I, th I thought it it's was. It's a little bit of sarcasm. Know. People lie know. all the time, <gasps> uh, which is why I wanted to go back and. and but then you had the other side of that coin is you've got people who'd be like, you know, to hell with her. She killed the kids. That's true. You know what I mean? That's so a, that, that cuts both ways. It does. But I mean, why would a doctor who kept her at oh, yeah. ICU. Oh, no. The doctor doesn't have a for, dog in the fight, right? Right. Like, I was going to say, he kept her in ICU because he was worried about her medical condition, med mental health right, condition. Not physical. After right. having just witnessed the death of her two children to make sure she was okay. I don't see the motivation for them to make up the fact whether she did or did not have bruises in certain places. True. Um. Yeah, you continue. I have a question, but I'll 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 hold on to it. Okay. Well, and I will also say the defense kind of indicated that the doctors and nurses may have been uh spoiled on Darley because after 
the prosecution took the pictures of her injuries when she came in to give that statement on the 10th. They met with the doctors and nurses and showed them the pictures and asked them if they had seen them. And they said that they had not. Um, And their theory was that during this meeting that the prosecutors had with all these doctors, that they jazzed them up on the fact that she's the one who killed their kids. And she obviously hurt herself after she got out of the hospital because everyone wasn't believing her enough. So she had to have more injuries to make her story more believable. Mm. And then she did this to herself. So, that was, I think, the defense perspective on why the doctors and nurses were so adamant that she didn't have these injuries and her family was. That the prosecution well, somehow turned the doctors and nurses against her. You're going to think differently about someone if you think that they stabbed two children to death. I would. Right, but I'm also not going to tailor my testimony yeah. in any non, non-true way. No, no. I'm just saying I'm subconsciously. Right. You know, you're a professional and we're all professionals here. and But, you know, I don't know. You can't. Like we talked about on the mini episode that hasn't been aired yet about bias that you can't eliminate. And I think that's something – if I think you've done something like that to a child, I'm I'm going to look at you differently. I agree. There's but, nothing I can do. But a, a straight-up question of do you see bruises on right. that lady or not? Right. I mean – Yeah. It but, is or it isn't. So the the injuries are weird. We've got dispute – Disputing testimony about that. Right. So then the Silly String video comes oh, in. Oh, it's yeah, time. Well, I heard now, about Silly String. Tell yes. me about the Silly so String. let me put this in context for you. Uh, my husband grew up in Memphis, moved to Houston, Texas when he was like 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has lived in Houston, Texas for a long period of time before he came up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he lived in Houston in 1996 when all of this happened. Oh, dang. Okay. Um. I was watching one of the documentaries I watched about the case at home doing research to give this presentation. And he came in sort of in the middle of it and he's like, Oh, what you watching? And I told him, you know, I'm researching this case. And as soon as I started giving him some minor details, like woman who was convicted of killing her kid. And he's like, Oh my God, what the silly string. <laughs> that's what he, he remembered. Was that's what he drink. remembered. That's how much uh, it was across media yeah. that she had to be guilty because of the silly string. Mm. Um, and Houston and Texas or Houston and Dallas ain't exactly close to they one are another, not. Right? They are not. They are not. So the silly string video. Here we go. Two things about the silly string video. Number one is that. A few days after the boys pass is Devin's seventh birthday. Would have been. Yes. Would have been Devin's seventh birthday. So they have a private sort of graveside memorial. And afterwards, they go ahead and have his birthday party that they were planning to have for him. What? And one of his (laughs) one of his favorite things was silly string. So messed up. So we had a we had a memorial service, but God damn it, we paid for the clown already so Uh, i guess we're just gonna have this party with silly strings this gacy guy will not take a refund yes i'm just gonna have to they had balloons and oh my god and they had silly string and um people grieve differently man right they they sang happy birthday and they (laughs) sprayed the graves with silly string and the reason that this video exists uh in part I'll go into this too, because this was a bit of controversy in the trial is because Mama Darley invited Dallas Channel 5 News to the graveside 
birthday party. Pray on that, Ray. Mama Darley calls the news and is like, come to this memorial graveside days well, after no, this little they, baby That's died. the other thing. They weren't allowed to film the memorial because that was private and solemn. It was the party, the it birthday party. It was the birthday party uh -huh. part of it that they were allowed to film. And actually... Darley and Darren ended up doing a pretty lengthy interview with the reporter from Channel 5 News around the time they took the Silly String video, either immediately before or immediately after. I'm not going to comment on either one of their guilt, uh, you know, at this point. I just, golly, that's a bad look, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, that's just a bad look. Yeah, like you're having a, a joyful, jovial party. party. That's one thing. But then you, you've got the news people there right. and you're giving interviews and stuff. Like, I don't, mm, mm -mm. my mm. kid's dead. Everybody is in danger of me killing them. Yeah, I agree. Everybody. And I mean, you're saying this, this is, but days after the memorial service, they, yes. they, they put the kids in the ground. And then a couple days later, they're having interviews with the media, shooting silly, silly string and eating cake and shit. Ooh, it's a, silly string it's a bad look. So, Ooh, yeah, I agree. The that's, silly that's, string that's, video gets Do it surprise aired. you she got convicted, Brett? No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. The Silly String video is aired and it is everywhere. Mm. And people see her, uh, as the prosecutor put it, spraying Silly String and literally dancing on their graves. And they react to the side of that, which to a lot of people is disturbing. Um, They explain it as, you know, he, it was his birthday. They planned to celebrate. He loves Silly String. They were they were celebrating his life, and that's the way in which they chose to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, you said people grieve differently. People I just don't. I feel like well, most human beings, two days after they put somebody in the ground, they're not. Well, this wasn't not, two days. This was like, I want to say this was the eighteenth of June, but I'm not exactly sure on the date. That's just mm. from my memory. Twelve days after poster. these kids got dead. Yeah, it's and, and she got discharged from the hospital on the tenth. So one on the eighth. On the 8th. Okay. Yeah, the pictures of the bruises were taken on the 10th. So 10 days after she's discharged from the hospital with these bruises and stitches in her neck looking like Frankenstein like Joseph. Actually, her she's... neck wound looks like it's healed really well in the short mm -hmm. period of time between that and the... Uh, it do. The but I will video. say this. I will say this. Caveat. She's just been out the hospital. Doctor <laughs> kept her there more for mental than physical reasons. And she was on medications. That's it, right? She had to be doped out of her mind, I would think. Okay, so she's on happy pills. Yeah. And she's I mean, doing some But that's why you don't have the news people stuff. There. That's yeah. why you don't have the news people there. Mm -hmm. You okay. you you get high and you grieve in private. That's <laughs> that's you get well, drunk, especially you get high since you're getting the vibe that you may be a suspect. Yeah, right. You're already they're asking asking all them questions. Right. Um but Here's the controversy. Let's get it. The police had also placed an audio recorder near the headstone <laughs> Damn. to record in case someone decided to be uh, grief stricken and make a silent a, statement confession to the headstone. A Damn. graveside confession. Yes. That's so a cold-blooded investigation right there. It is. There. Like, the police, that's so Texas. The Mike police had put grave. an audio recorder near the headstone, oh and they apparently were video filming from a vehicle some distance away. Okay. Um, they did not use 
any of their police gained footage, first of all, because it's my understanding in reading the transcript that the video was pretty awful and that the audio was spotty at best. Mm. They didn't get anything from anybody that was usable. <laughs> I mean, and they didn't have to worry about the party part of it because the news was actually there and filming. filming. Yeah. Well, so they introduced Channel 5's version <laughs> of the so, celebration. Ah. So, because um, their audio visual was great. Well, you're watching control buys. You know what yeah, that looks they're like. Terrible. Yeah. But yeah. So with this surreptitious mic on the, uh, the the children's grave and them posting up at this party, uh, taking video from afar, it's pretty evident that they do not suspect mom or dad <laughs> at all. Yeah, they're the, not uh, persons of interest. The investigator who they brought in said pretty much within the first half an hour, he knew that there was an issue with the statements that she had given mm -hmm. and that the evidence, physical evidence in the house was not supportive of her version. Not passing that now, sniff test. People, yeah, people right. have spun that to say that he made up his mind that she was guilty within the first 30 minutes. Confirmation That's, bias. That mm -hmm. is not what he testified to. He said it was about a half an hour in the house and he realized that <laughs> The physical evidence did not match up with what her version of events were. Um, so the issue with the recording that the police took, um, the defense felt that this recording was made in violation of federal wiretapping statutes. We're slightly familiar with that. And they... <laughs> yeah, that comes up sometimes. <laughs> they attempted to call two of the officers to interrogate them about their violation of the federal wiretapping statutes which caused these two investigators to have to get attorneys and plead the fifth only with regard to the bugging of the graveyard. But if they were you, still available to answer questions about everything else, right? but they pled the fifth with regard to the bugging of the graveyard until uh, I will say that that was litigated. Okay. Afterwards. And that was found not to be a violation of any wiretapping statute because a graveyard is a public place. Oh, word. Uh, just FYI. Well, and also anybody can listen to you say anything in a graveyard because it's a public place. So now, you know, don't go confessing around no gravestones. That's all. Don't mm -hmm. be doing it. I mean, but also there does it have no effect that there's literally news cameras there also recording with permission? Like, right. Well, I, and that's the state was like a wasn't in violation of the federal wiretapping statute. B, mm -hmm. who cares? Because you invited the news crew there. Right. Um, yeah, and, and they did a full interview. And see, though, like even I mean, if, like you said, that the quality of what they did get off of that was non. I mean, it was terrible. So and it was tendered to the defense. And and so if it wasn't admitted at trial, I mean, right. wouldn't wouldn't the appropriate remedy just be to okay, we'll it. suppress it? Yeah. Right, but the defense wanted to make a big deal of it because of the quality of the investigation and the fact that they would do something as heinous as, as plant a bug on a gravestone for two children okay. yep. because they automatically convicted Darley from the jump. Doesn't bother me one damn bit. You got what, two dead babies. put a microphone on the headstone? It you, doesn't bother you me. You do what you got to do. <clears throat> Push the envelope. Find you who killed these babies. You know, I am a, a habitual <laughs> rule follower. follower. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, but I, I am not bothered by the uh, headstone bug either because it's clear to me it was not. And it was later found by court. To not be in violation yeah, of I mean, any that statute. honestly, just like uh, facially, it seems nonsense. Like, what expectation well, of privacy do you have? No, but that's not what it's about. It's about a play to the jury, right? This was in front Correct. of the jury. These 
Officers well, breaking. I mean, the that's law. Well, actually, saying, if I'm that the judge, wasn't had in front of the jury. They did a voir dire of the two witnesses oh. about that issue outside the presence of the jury. Well, then what a oh. daggone waste of time! You're not even making it making them look bad in front they of the jury. They wanted to make them look bad in front of the jury, which the was the purpose of the no. voir dire. Mm. Correct. Yeah, the that's judge what I would said, say no. too. There you go. Uh, he said, "You can you can call these two men to testify. You can cross examine them, but you're not to question them about that issue. It's not an issue at the trial." There you go. Um, okay, judge. There you go. Right. You got a judge name for me? Uh, ah, Toll, Toll. Hold on, hold on, hold did on. Did I catch you I did, off guard? No, you did. Mark Toll. I thought Mark Toll. Toll. Yeah. Judge, Judge Toll getting it right. Mm -hmm. So, the um, the potential motives that the state sort of developed throughout their part of the trial. Yes, let's talk about motive. Um, and just to start off, the state does not have to prove a motive. No. Nah. Uh, and yeah. any, in, in, in. I mean, it sure does help, like though. Oh, yeah. Oh, it absolutely helps. But People the sad part is. It's not an element of the crime. Right. The sad part is a lot of crimes, especially crimes of this nature, we never know why. Right. Something like this happens because there's no good reason. Right. Why something like this happened. So even if there was a clear motive you could point to, in a lot of people's minds, it wouldn't be motive enough to do what was done here. Right. So um, that's just a, a issue on that. State does not have to prove motive. But they did develop uh, quite a few um, potential motivations. Or I don't even want to say motive. Stressors and factors that occurred that may have driven Darley to do this. So Darley kept a diary, a journal. And about a month before the dummy <laughs> about a month before the murders she was she wrote a suicide note to oh. the kids um and her friend and the other employee of their business uh testified at trial that she had talked to Darley about her state of mind and everybody agreed and testified that Darley had been having issues with postpartum depression was this was 96 yeah did we did we respect and appreciate postpartum in 96 like we do now? I don't think so. Yeah. And that's the thing that uh, people keep bringing up now is like just because she had postpartum depression doesn't mean she killed her kids. And of course it doesn't. No. Postpartum depression is exceedingly common. Yeah. And there's a spectrum. And, like a big, oh, sure. big spectrum. Sure. Um, so no one is saying because she had postpartum depression, that's why she killed these kids. But it's clear from everyone's testimony that she was struggling with some postpartum depression. Um, it's also clear that she wrote a suicide note 30 days before uh, the murders. Um, the friend testified that Darlie confided in her that she had actually, um, and this was a word that they used during the course of the trial, uh, unwrapped the pills. I didn't know what that meant. Unwrapped. Unwrapped. Both Darlie, when she talked about it, because she said she didn't unwrap any pills. And the witness said, Darley told me that she unwrapped them. Talking about like and those just, capsules, like where you take them apart and scare? I w that's what I assume that okay. means, that, that they would take them out of those. Um, the witness testified that Darley told her she had even actually unwrapped the medication mm. and was prepared to do this thing. Mm. Uh, when Darren came home from work and sort of talked her down and it was okay that day. Um, smooth talking man with a mullet saved a life. Right. Um, Joe Diffie. And Darley, Darley indicates that, um, she was, she was talking to Darren on the day that this occurred and she did not tell him 
that she was feeling the way she was feeling. She just indicated that she there was something off about her that day. And that's what caused him to go home. He says that he didn't find her with any pills or anything like that. So he denies that that part of the... Correct. Um, well, but a lot of times people make up or, or you know, embellish their stories a little bit. They can bit also to get, minimize. Yeah, yeah, he might feel responsible. Um, so there's the whole thing about a Darlie struggling with that postpartum depression to the point where she was uh, seriously contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Darren... This will probably be a good point to talk about some of the weirdness that everyone gets from Darren. The weirdness of Darren? Well, well. Well, and I will say folks outside the family get from Darren. The family speaks nothing but highly of Darren. And Darren, for all intents and purposes, and everything I've read, has stuck by Darlie to this day. He will tell you that an intruder was in that house and killed those kids. And there's no way Darlie did this. Okay. (laughs) And with that, we will... Draw episode one of Darley Root here to a close. Leave you on a little cliffhanger. Uh, we'll be back next time for round two with Cheryl. She's going to uh, keep bringing it. She's doing a great job thus far. Look forward to it, everybody. Hit us up on Gmail if you want to get a hold of us at notruebillpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, y'all stay out of trouble.